Today on the Matt Wall Show, the slavery reparations grift was gaining momentum for a while after George Floyd's overdose, but now the whole thing is collapsing. In fact, the race hustle scam in general seems to be falling apart across the country. We'll discuss. Also, Biden couldn't sit for an interview before the Super Bowl because he's a mentally handicapped vegetable, but he did put out a video complaining that there aren't enough chips in his chip bag. And trans activists in Florida stage a die-in. What is that and what are they crying about this time? We'll find out. Finally, a Christian organization spends tens of millions of dollars on a Super Bowl ad that is sure to do a lot more harm than good. We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. We all love to get out on the open road, see the country, feel the wind in our hair. But if you have the same car you've been driving for years, you might not feel so great after a car breakdown, unless you have a plan through CarShield. CarShield is America's most trusted vehicle protection company, and for almost 20 years, they've helped Americans protect their out-of-warranty vehicles. From car and trucks to SUVs, a plan through CarShield can protect up to 5,000 parts and systems and save you big dollars on your engine, transmission, entertainment system, and more. It's as easy as going to carshield.com Shapiro. With plans that include unlimited miles, road trips have never been easier. Plus, you get exclusive access to CarShield's concierge service, as well as 24-7 roadside assistance and help with flat or damaged tires, lockouts, and rental car options. Call CarShield to speak with an expert here in the U.S. that can answer all your questions and get you a free quote in minutes. Don't wait another minute. Visit CarShield now before a breakdown happens and you get stuck with an expensive repair bill. Save 20% and get your free quote by going to carshield.com Shapiro now. That's carshield.com Shapiro to save 20 today. Until recently, it was hard to think of a post-George Floyd innovation that failed more quickly or more spectacularly than the defund the police movement. As homicide rates ballooned by more than 30%, cities like Los Angeles, Baltimore, uh, Philadelphia, Minneapolis, New York, Austin, Oakland reinstated funds for police departments. They had all uh, made a big show of cutting police funding, only to realize that, in fact, police actually serve a purpose. Imagine that. And then there were the stories of various politicians, including congressmen, who called for defunding the police only to demand police protection when they needed it for themselves. So the whole idea of defunding the police was a BLM-inspired debacle that seemed pretty hard to top. But now there's a contender, as hard as that might be to imagine. It was less than a year ago that a so-called reparations task force in California announced a plan to pay $1.2 million to every descendant of a slave or of a, quote, free black person living in the U.S. prior to the end of the 19th century. And all that proposal would cost something like $800 billion to implement, which is more than double California's entire state budget. But nevertheless, uh, there was optimism that this would actually happen. After all, this task force had spent around two years crafting this proposal. So they were pretty confident that they could see it through. Watch. The task force is recommending payments of up to $1.2 million for any African-American over 70 that can trace their ancestry to enslaved people, compensating them for what it describes as harm to their health, mass incarceration, over-policing, and housing discrimination. Land was stolen from many, as in my husband's case. My husband has the deeds to these properties. That state. This land belongs to my descendants forever and ever. Several descendants told their stories in a public forum. Task Force member Joven Scott Lewis insists reparations are not payouts. We are returning monies taken, returning monies stolen, 
returning right, the monies that had been lost based upon the kinds of dispossession and disenfranchisement. So they say they're not taking the money from taxpayers and redistributing it. They claim and said that they are returning stolen money, even though the taxpayers that they're taking the money back from didn't steal it in the first place. And the people they're giving it to never had anything taken from them personally. But, you know, that's what they're saying. Imagine applying this logic, of course, to all of the Europeans who were sold as slaves in North Africa. Or how about all the white people who are killed by black people every year in the United States, which is a, a, very, a vastly disproportionate number. Are all of the descendants of these white victims entitled to reparations from all black people as well? Now, proponents of reparations never had a good answer to that question or any question. Uh, they couldn't answer anything at all, in fact including how they were going to pay for all this. So fast forward a few months, and it turns out that the descendants of slaves will not be getting uh, any money in California. The whole idea became so overwhelmingly unpopular in California that even Gavin Newsom, who never misses a chance to genuflect before the BLM altar, wasn't a fan. So after considering the proposals of the Reparation Task Force, California lawmakers recently introduced a series of 14 bills and uh, cash payouts to the descendants of slaves are not included in any of the bills that are supposedly related to reparations. And yet, they're still calling these bills reparations anyway. Watch. Well, right off the top, here's what the just announced reparations bills do not include. Direct cash payments for descendants of the enslaved, as lawmakers behind the proposals insist reparations are about much more than just this. This is a defining moment. A defining moment, says Senator Stephen Bradford, just after he and his colleagues in the Legislative Black Caucus formally introduced more than a dozen bills they say will lead to the start of reparations for California descendants of enslaved black Americans. If we say we value reparations and wanting to heal the harms of slavery in this country and in this state, we have to make this a priority. It comes less than a year after the California Reparations Task Force submitted this 1,000-plus page recommendations report to the governor and legislature. In total, it featured 112 recommendations about how reparations could work in California, a state Bradford acknowledges was never formally a slave state, but one he says enacted policies since its founding in 1850 negatively impacting black Californians to this day. Other bills introduced include one to fund career education financial aid for red-lined communities, another to prohibit discrimination based on natural and protective hairstyles in all competitive sports within California, and one to restrict solitary confinement in California state prisons, but not included in any of the proposals, direct cash payments. Well, it's a little embarrassing. Hopefully no descendants of slaves went out and spent a million dollars in the past couple of months thinking that they'd get reimbursed. Because it turns out that's not happening. Instead, they're getting rid of solitary confinement, and they are prohibiting discrimination based on hairstyles. That's what they're calling reparations. A bit of a step down, you might say. Now, as you'd expect, the most reprehensible anti-white racists in the country were deeply disturbed by this news. Semi-prominent race baiter Tariq Nasheed was especially furious. He wrote, quote, this package does not include any cash payments to foundational black Americans at all. It's a 111-page nothing burger dipped in nothing sauce. And that's true for the most part. And it's not often that this guy says anything true, but he does in this case. Still, buried in these 14 proposals are a few very bad and unconstitutional ideas. So Tariq Nasheed is getting some bad ideas out of this. He loves bad ideas. He's going to get a few, so hopefully it makes him feel a little bit better. Uh, they'll be re-implementing affirmative action, other race-based initiatives as, as well. And one California assemblyman who supports these bills, Corey Jackson, 
actually wants to amend California's constitution to permit laws that would, quote, increase the life expectancy of, improve educational outcomes for, or lift out of poverty specific groups based on race, color, ethnicity, national origin, or marginalized genders, sexes, or sexual orientations. In other words, he wants to be able to pass laws that would only help non-whites, which currently would violate both the California and U.S. constitutions, of course. That's what they're focusing on in California, a state that has no shortage of real problems, but they desperately want to turn the state into Rwanda and accelerate its decline even further. At the same time, it's very clear that they're, they're not going to get everything they want. They, they are failing, these grifters are. The reparations grift is collapsing. And that's because the reparations grift and the whole race hustle scam as a whole depends on instilling and maintaining a deep sense of guilt in white people. But you just cannot keep an entire race of people crippled by undeserved guilt over ancient history forever. It just, it doesn't work psychologically. Eventually that guilt turns into exhaustion and the exhaustion turns into resentment or at best indifference. And that's when the scam blows back on the scam artists. We're seeing that happen more and more actually. For example, I recently tweeted a statement that's um, uh, completely uncontroversial to anybody with a baseline understanding of world history. Here's what I wrote so a few days ago, I, I tweeted this quote, Slavery is world history. White people did not invent it and were not the first to practice it, but were the first to abolish it. The last place in the world to still have legal slavery was Africa. It wasn't fully legally abolished on the continent until 1981. Now, most people uh, reacting to that post were, were agreeing with it because it's obviously true. Slavery was an unquestioned fact of life across the entire world for thousands of years. In fact, for thousands of years, nobody even thought to question the institution like the most enlightened minds in the world for thousands of years. They, they might have suggested that slaves should be treated humanely in some circumstances, but nobody rejected slavery fundamentally as a concept. This was the case, again, everywhere among all people for millennia. White Europeans were the first ones to argue that slavery as an institution should not exist at all. And that the slaves themselves have the right, have a, a human right to be free. So, you know, the unique relationship between slavery and Europeans is that Europeans are the first ones who figured out that it's wrong. That's just a fact. It can't be denied. If I should be blamed for slavery because, uh, you know, white people participated in it, which they did, then I should also be thanked because white people abolished it. So where's my thank you note is what I'm asking. This is all kinds of kind of obvious to anybody with, again, a rudimentary understanding of history, which explains one of the prominent dissenters to my tweet who uh, has no understanding of history at all. Henry Rogers, a.k.a. Ibram X. Kendi, uh, was upset about this. And here's what he wrote in response to me. He said, quote, the ultimate white savior statement. That's what he said. It's obviously a meaningless reply. But since Henry Rogers is supposedly a serious academic and supposedly not just a fraudster, I figured I'd, I'd follow up with him, and I asked Rogers if he'd like to have a live, on-camera conversation about this issue. Now, and if you didn't know any better, you would think that he would jump at that chance. After all, he's, he's an academic. He has a PhD. I'm just a podcaster with a high school diploma. So he could easily school me in a debate about history, couldn't he? I mean, surely he'll jump at that chance, right? Wrong. 
Kennedy replied to my challenge two days later. It took him two days to think about it, think about what his answer would be. And, uh, and here's what he said. Many historians have already explained why your statements about slavery are wrong. It would be a huge waste of my time repeating what has already been shared with you. Well, there you have it. He doesn't have to debate me because many historians have already said that he's right. No, that's the, the, the historians already agree with him. So what is there to debate? Who are these historians? Well, don't worry about that. There's many of them. That's all that matters. Don't worry about who they are. It's just there's many. Who are they? They are many. They are legion. And why should their opinion preclude us from having a conversation on the topic? Well, don't worry about that either. In any case, the reaction to that conversation uh, was, was between me and Ibram X. Kendi was overwhelmingly hostile to Ibram X. Kendi. Everybody recognized exactly what's going on. This esteemed anti-racist academic who runs an entire anti-racist center at a major university and who managed to burn through $40 million in grant money in just a couple of years can't allow his claims to be subjected to any scrutiny, even scrutiny from a high school-educated podcaster. Can't do it because he's an intellectual lightweight and his ideas are as hollow and weak as he is. That's yet another sign that the anti-racist reparations grift is collapsing. Um, and so is this footage from UCSF, which is supposedly one of the leading universities and hospitals in the United States. They rang in Black History Month this year by inviting a black supremacist named Dante King to campus. And here's what he had to say. Watch. Whites are psychopaths. And their behavior represents an underlying biologically transmitted proclivity with roots deep in their evolutionary history. How, can, how many of you could see the proclivity that evolved deep within the evolutionary history of whiteness? by show of hands. How many of you could see it? Some people are sitting here, oh no, I don't wanna raise my hand. That's called denial. No, that's called, that was the dumbest we've ever heard. And that's why they didn't raise their hand. That's, that's, that's what that was all about. Now he goes on like that for a while. Uh, you hear a lot about genocidal rhetoric from the left, but this is actual genocidal rhetoric. He's saying white people are psychopaths. And this is being said, on a college campus, and like it goes without saying, I'll say it anyway. That if if anything, if it, if it went the other way, and there was a white speaker up there saying, you know, black people are psychopaths, that person would probably be arrested. I mean, they'd be banned from campus forever, but they would probably actually be arrested for saying that because it would be considered a hate crime. Uh, and yet, this is what you get you get from a, a speaker on a college campus. You know, and this is a, someone lecturing at an institution that trains doctors and treats patients. And that, that can't make white patients at UCSF very comfortable to hear that. If you're not familiar with King, by the way, you should know that he offers an eight-week course on diagnosing whiteness. So if you want to hear more about this, you can take the course. Uh, it will cost you $1,200, though. Now, it's not clear how much UCSF paid for this lecture. They're a public university, so presumably they use tax money to pay for it, however much it was. And this is the reality of living in California these days. Even if the reparations bill fails, public institutions will find ways to take your money to spread anti-white race hate. But you could tell from the response to this footage, which went viral immediately, that people are fed up with this propaganda. Just like the FAA footage I aired on this show last week, someone on the inside had to draw attention to this video, which they did. Uh, and, and there are whistleblowers who are tired of these race hustlers. The more the race scam collapses, the more whistleblowers will come forward. The only remaining support for race propaganda really comes from, comes from a, an important place, though, which is all of the largest corporations in the country. They're still committed to forcing this on us. So if you're watching the Super Bowl last night, especially the pregame, 
uh, you would have noticed that. The NFL invited a woman to sing what's known as the Black National Anthem, which of course is a contradiction in terms. There is no Black National Anthem. There is no White National Anthem. There is one National Anthem. It's for the nation. Any country that has multiple National Anthems for different demographic groups isn't really a country. It's a collection of different countries split up along ethnic lines, and it will fall apart very quickly. But ensuring that this country falls apart is precisely the goal of the largest news outlets in the United States. So before the game, CBS interviewed the woman who sang this quote-unquote black national anthem at the Super Bowl, uh, whose name is Andra Day, and listen to what she said. I think, you know, but I'm not unaware of the conversations surrounding the mm. black national anthem at the Super Bowl, right? I, I think that's just a true conversation. Mm. Um, you know, and I think people, you know, they are, <laughs> I'm going to say this in really polite terms, but I think people are, you know, change can be a scary thing for people, you know mm. what I mean? But I think that it's a good thing, it's a healthy thing, because if you're not changing and growing, I think you're, you're dying, right? Of you know, so, so for me, I will tell you, I, I'm honored to be able to represent our ancestors and our culture in this way. Mm -hmm. But for me, even deeper than that, I'm a very spiritual person. Gail knows we've mm -hmm. talked about this before. I'm a praying person. And so that's really what I'm hoping. My goal is to diminish myself and really be in service of the spirit of God, whoever that is for people, to be a vessel, truly. And, and if people are able to sort of put down you know, this, uh, uh, this kind of negative connotation surrounding this or these prejudices or these ideas, then I think we could actually share in a really, really beautiful mm -hmm. spiritual moment mm -hmm. together. Yeah. And that is together that. my yeah. desire, yes. And then to do the best that I can do. Hopefully yeah. it goes well. Change is scary, she says. And if you're not changing and growing, then you're dying. And everybody at CBS pretends that's the most intelligent thing they've ever heard, but it doesn't even come close to making sense. Uh, now, I mean, it's true that, that when something is changing and growing, that means that it's alive. But the other problem is that you don't want it's not necessarily good that a thing is alive. It depends on what it is. A tumor changes and grows, but that's not a good thing. And so what she's really talking about is the racial division and race baiting. That, that's what's, what she wants to see grow and change, uh, which is something that we don't want. She's basically saying that we need racially segregated national anthems just for the sake of changing something. And then at the end, she implies even, even more nonsensically that somehow this will lead to unity. We'll be unified by having separate anthems. Even though the whole point of singing the anthem, the one national anthem, is to show our national unity. That's the whole point. But the point of this revival of the black national anthem is to take us back to the pre-civil rights era. This is not progress, it's regression. That's what this is a deliberate callback to. It's when the NAACP first started pushing the song after an NAACP official wrote it. And for the past three years, the NFL has been trying to equate this with the actual national anthem. The implication is that we're back where we were in the early 1900s. It's like when Joe Biden says that it's Jim Crow on steroids to require voter ID. They are desperate to convince us that we are living in a white supremacist hellscape, which obviously is nonsense. But again, it's falling flat. Andrew Day performed this black national anthem before the commercial break, before the teams came out, uh, several minutes before the national anthem was played. And to the extent that people responded to it at all, it was panned for the most part on social media. Very few people, th people thought that it was inspirational or unifying or whatever. This is the response all of the post-BLM, post-George Floyd ideas are receiving now from defunding the police, implementing reparations, the Black National Anthem. It's all falling flat. What this means for race hustlers like Henry Rogers is that they're going to have to find new jobs soon. What it means for the rest of us is that at long last, our moment of national racial insanity 
might eventually come to an end. Now let's get to our five headlines. Balance of Nature fruits and veggies are a great way to make sure that you're getting essential nutritional ingredients every single day. Balance of Nature uses an advanced cold vacuum process that encapsulates fruits and vegetables into whole food supplements without sacrificing their natural antioxidants. The capsules are completely void of additives, fillers, extracts, synthetics, pesticides, or added sugar. The only thing in Balance of Nature's fruits and veggies capsules are, well, fruits and veggies. Right now, my listeners can get 35% off their first order, and they'll also get a free fiber and spice supplement. Balance of Nature's fiber and spice supplement is a revolutionary fiber drink with a unique blend of 12 spices and whole foods. Our office loves Balance of Nature, uses it every day. There's never been an easier way to make sure we're getting our daily dose of fruits and vegetables. Experience Balance of Nature for yourself today. Go to balanceofnature.com. Use promo code Walsh for 35% off your first order as a preferred customer. Plus, Get a free bottle of fiber and spice. That's balanceofnature.com. Promo code Walsh for 35% off your first preferred order, plus a free bottle of fiber and spice. Now, before the Super Bowl, traditionally, the president will give an interview. And this is the kind of thing that you would think any president would be eager to do. Like, it gives you a chance to uh, get your message out to a huge mainstream audience. It's an election year on top of it. Uh, what, What is there not to love if you're the president of the United States and you get this chance to do the interview? Especially if you're a Democrat president and it's a friendly interview with the media uh, propaganda outlet. It's like, there's no, it, it's a win-win. You can't lose. Um, unless you are senile, which is the whole reason why Biden declined the invitation this year, just as he declined it, I believe, last year to give this, uh, this uh, interview. Um, uh, because he's so incapacitated that he can't sit for even a 10-minute, you know, uh, softball interview. Putin did two hours. He can't do 10 minutes. Instead, the White House put out this 45-second video uh, featuring Joe Biden before the game. Watch. It's Super Bowl Sunday. If you're anything like me, you like to be surrounded by a snack or two while watching the big game. You know, when buying snacks for the game, you might have noticed one thing. Sports drinks bottles are smaller. A bag of chips has fewer chips, but they're still charging it just as much. And as an ice cream lover, what makes me the most angry is that ice cream cartons have actually shrunk in size, but not in price. I've had enough of what they call shrinkflation. It's a ripoff. Some companies are trying to pull a fast one by shrinking the products little by little and hoping you won't notice. Give me a break. The American public is tired of being played for suckers. I'm calling on companies to put a stop to this. Let's make sure businesses do the right thing now. Um, 45 second video. Now, this is not really the point. You know, we'll get to the substance of what he's saying, such as it is. But 45 second video. And just for fun, uh, I counted the number of cuts in that video. And I counted about 13. 13 cuts in a 45 second video. And uh, and why do they do that? Well, like they, they try to make it seem, oh, we're making a trendy like TikTok video with all the jump cuts. That's not why they're doing it. They're doing it because they can cut around all the mistakes. Because, you know, this they sat him down to talk about uh, the fact that bags of chips are too small. And we can assume that this the actual video is probably 15 minutes long of him just rambling about snacks. And they had to find 45 usable seconds in there. And that's why you get all the cuts. Because uh, he can't. It should be, you should be able to say to the President of the United States, okay, we want to do this dumb video. You know, can you give us a minute on, if you wanted to do this video, can you give us a minute on the, the fact that 
the chip bags of chips are too small. Can you just talk for a minute about that? He should be able to do that, but he can't. So that's why they have to cut around it so much. Um, and this is what they're focused on. You know, there's a lot of crises currently unfolding across the world, people dealing with major problems. And Joe Biden is worried that bags of chips don't have as many chips as they used to. And I especially like the part where he says that what, what makes him the most angry in the entire world is that ice cream cartons have shrunk in size. And I, and I believe that. I think that's he's being totally honest. I don't think that he's, uh, I'm perfectly willing to believe that. that. The thing that makes him the angriest in the world right now, the thing that makes him the most upset is the, uh, the smaller ice cream cartons. But I think that the point isn't even that this is a, a petty issue for him to be focused on. It is, it is petty, but, uh, and there are more important things that he should be worried about as the president. But this issue, shrinkflation, which it doesn't even make sense as a term, by the way. That's like those are, you're putting two opposite things together. But um, it is important because it is directly related to inflation. I mean, in fact, this is inflation. What he's talking about is inflation. It's another example of the cost of goods going up. So the real problem is that Biden is complaining about another marker of a, of a poor economy while taking no responsibility for it himself. He's blaming the companies that produce the snacks for the inflation that his own policies are causing. And he's hoping we don't notice. Um, but even worse than that was, or maybe worse than that anyway, was what the Biden camp put out after uh, the game. So before the game, they had all they could get out of Biden's 45 seconds, 13 cuts. Um, after the game, well, he's, he's already in bed. He's long since in bed. So instead they put out, after the Chiefs won in overtime, Joe Biden's Twitter account posted this, uh, posted this tweet. And so there it is. It says, just like we drew it up. And then you see Biden there with the laser, with the red laser eyes and all that. So th the whole point is that they, you know, this is obviously a joke about conspiracy theories and they're admitting jokingly that Biden rigged the game or whatever. Um, the really sad thing about this is that it was posted at, would have been like 11 o'clock Eastern time. So again, Biden had been in bed probably for four or five hours at that point. Uh, some intern put this tweet out. And the point of the tweet is to lean into the conspiracy theories, to lean into Joe Biden being an evil genius. That's what the, le you know, the, the kind of red laser eyes and all that's about. Um, and they're doing it even jokingly for a reason. And the reason is that if, if Biden is some kind of puppet master with a grand scheme, that means that he's at least mentally cognizant, right? He's aware, he's awake. And that's why they, that's why they, they like this. They tried to get, what was it, Dark Brandon or something? They tried to get that going for a couple of years as a way of pivoting off of uh, let's go Brandon. And then they had the Dark Brandon meme, which is basically just this. It's like it's portraying the president as Darth Vader is what they're, is, that's, their, that's how they're selling him. Um, because they've decided that it's politically advantageous to portray Biden as an evil supervillain because at least that means he's not a vegetable. Uh, so they, they figured, like, we'll take that. We got to choose either he's a vegetable or he's, an, he's a, he's a supervillain, and we'll take the supervillain instead. Um, but you can hardly blame them. Like, you know, in terms of strategy, they're, they're probably right that those are your two choices. And... Either he's, this guy's completely evil 
or he's uh, senile. And I guess you, if you're running the campaign, you'd rather he be evil, I suppose. Moving on to this, CBS Austin uh, has a report. Florida LGBT activists staged a series of protests at the Department of Motor Vehicle locations across the state on Friday. Dozens of individuals dressed in pride flags and safety vests entered DMV properties and laid down in mock death, a protest known as a die-in. Protesters can be seen holding signs reading, hate kills. The protest came in response to a policy change by the Florida Department of Highway Safety and Motor Vehicles last month. That prevents changes to the gender marking on Florida driver's licenses. Demonstrations in Tampa, Orlando, Miami, and Gainesville lasted 37 minutes to represent the 37% of trans Floridians who have faced harassment due to an incorrect gender marker, according to the Youth Action Fund. So apparently they were inside the DMVs doing this, and we have some footage of one of these, uh, I don't know which DMV this was at, but this is one of these die-ins, and here's what that looked like. Now, first of all, if they're doing this, um, you know, right outside the DMV, inside the DMV, on the property of the DMV, then it's a crime. And uh, when, when, as we know, when pro-life, when pro-lifers have sat outside of abortion clinics, you know, they they end up facing 11 years in prison for that. So if they did commit a crime here, I hope that's what Florida does: arrest them all and throw the book at them. You know, like. That, that's, what, that's where we're at now. You do this to ours, we do it to yours. So arrest them all, charge them with every single thing you possibly can, and try to put them in prison for as long as you possibly can. Um, but, you know, they're, uh, well, you can't arrest them because they're all dead. Uh, they're dead because their driver's license has the correct biological sex on it. They've died. The DMV, you know, a man goes in there, the DMV puts mail on the driver's license, and, and the guy just collapses and dies on the spot. That seems to be the claim here. Um, when, when actually, but when you think when you think about it, you realize that the claim is actually worse than that, because what they're really doing here is they're doing two things. One of the things they're doing is that they're threatening to kill themselves. That, that that's that's the implication, because most of the time when trans activists claim that something is killing them, what they mean, and they'll tell you this, is that they don't like the thing, whatever it is, and they might kill themselves because of it. You know, we hear about the trans genocide and all that kind of stuff. All of it is totally fictional. But you listen to the stats of all the tra- it's it. Most of what they're talking about is suicide. Because these people, as we've, as we've discussed many times, these people wield suicide threats as a political tool. And they do it in a way that no other social movement in the history of the world ever has. Um, now, you can think of individual protests here and there of monks, you know, setting themselves on fire, self-immolation, that sort of thing, which, by the way, shows a lot more commitment than these people are, at least. You can give them that. But um, I'm talking about a broad social movement where one of their primary bargaining chips is this constant specter, this constant threat of suicide. You, you don't find this anywhere else. This is the only time. You go back, through, go back to the, uh, the civil rights movement, right, in the middle of the 20th century. Were they threatening to kill themselves? No. In fact, in almost every case where a group of people have actually been persecuted in some way, unlike trans people who are not persecuted at all, they're the opposite of persecuted in this country, but whenever there's been persecution, you find that generally suicide rates for the persecuted groups go down. They don't go up, usually, they go down. And that's because you find, usually, a kind of resiliency, uh, a sense of purpose and cohesion 
in the protected or in the persecuted group, rather. And it's human nature to respond that way. Yet with trans people who are not being arrested, who are not being sent to labor camps, you know, not having any of their fundamental human rights taken away, they're killing themselves at extraordinarily high rates and threaten to kill themselves at even higher rates than that, which tells us that this has nothing to do with persecution. Their problems are all internal. And one of the problems is an extreme level of narcissism. You know, this, this, is, this, is, this is a hallmark of toxic, manipulative narcissists, where they try to get you to do what they want by threatening to harm themselves. It's, it's a classic manipulation tactic of narcissists. Usually you find it in abusive relationships and that sort of thing, where someone says, don't leave me or I'll kill myself. Yeah, it's, it's that kind. It's like, it's evil. I mean, it's, it's people that do that are evil. Uh, it's, it's, it's the worst kind of manipulation you could possibly use against someone. And generally, when you find that in relationships, we all would agree. It's like if you're talking to someone and they're saying, you know, talking to a woman and saying, my boyfriend saying, if I, is threatening if I, if I break up with him, he's going to kill himself. We would usually, well, this, like, that's all the more reason to break up. This person's dangerous and it's, they, it's, they shouldn't be doing that. It's wrong. And yet trans activists have taken that and they've adopted it on a wide scale. That's a political tool. And the proper response to it is like, disgust? How dare you use a tactic like this? This is like, this breaks every rule of basic decency that we all have recognized up until now. But we're used to that from trans activists. Like they, they just don't, they don't abide by any standard of decency whatsoever. They just don't, they don't recognize any moral or ethical uh, standards at all. Um, although we should acknowledge that when they claim the driver's license will kill them, it's not just suicide they're referring to. Uh, one of the activists, so there's the suicide threat, and then there's also just lies as well. Uh, one of the activists involved in this demonstration said this to explain it. Every time a trans person has to present an ID that now presents an opportunity for them to be forcefully outed. Trans people already face heightened violence that physically threatens their daily lives, and this only places them at greater risk. For folks who are not at a significant risk of being killed just because of who they are, I can see why our action might seem dramatic, entitled, or even silly. You think? But for trans Floridians, the danger is very real and ever-present. Well, and that's just a total lie, of course. That's an absolute lie. Uh, trans people face a heightened violence, uh, heightened, heightened violence, heightened threat of being killed. For folks who are not at a significant risk of being killed just because of who they are, it might seem dramatic. Well, you know, if you listen to this show, you've heard, you've, you've already heard this claim debunked many times, but, you know, really we can't debunk it enough because it keeps getting repeated. That in reality, trans people as a group have a lower murder rate, okay? They are less likely to be murdered than members of the general public. Their murder rate is lower than the general public. That is a fact. You can look it up. Uh, a vanishingly small number of trans people are killed every year, and in almost every single case, the ones that are killed are killed, of course, for reasons that have nothing at all to do with who they are. And, and, I mean, well, they might be killed because uh, it, very often things involve prostitution, Drugs. So if they're killed for who they are, it's the who they are problem is like prostitute, drug addict, that sort of thing. But as far as trans person just being killed for being trans, you might have one or two cases a year at most. 
It's like it almost never happens. Um, and, uh, and, and overall, even if you take all murder into account, you are safer. The statistics tell you you are safer being a trans person than non-trans. That's, that's what the stats say. So this is a total lie. Um, so they just lie about everything all the time. Nothing they ever say is true. Like you, you can't, if they told you it's raining outside, you have to go check yourself because they lie instinctively about everything. And uh, they wield suicide like a weapon. And uh, these are just, it's just awful all around, really. So I guess how we could sum it up. All right, speaking of awful, PBS has this. A majority of taxpayers feel that they pay too much in taxes, with many saying that they receive a poor value in return, according to a new poll from the University of Chicago uh, Harris School of Public Policy. Two-thirds of U.S. taxpayers say they spend too much on federal income taxes as tax season begins. About 7 in 10 say the same about local property taxes, while roughly 6 in 10 feel that way about state sales taxes. Generally speaking, Republicans are more likely than Democrats to view taxes as unfair, to say they're, they're, they're paying too much in taxes, and to see taxes as a poor value. The poll found that few U.S. adults have a high level of confidence that the institutions that ultimately use their tax dollars spend those taxes in the best interest of people like them. But people tend to trust governing bodies closer to home with their tax dollars slightly more. 16% are extremely or very confident in their local school district compared to 6% for the federal government. Um, well, let me uh, just stop right there. I mean, the only disturbing thing about this is that it's all, so two thirds uh, say they pay too much in taxes. That leaves a third who, who feel that they're taxed just right. That's the only thing concerning to me. Because not to spoil the ending, but I can answer this question for you. Yes, you are taxed too much. Uh, and yes, it is extremely unfair. Whoever you are, whatever your income bracket is, it doesn't matter. You, you are taxed too much. Um, way too much. And there are plenty of people who effectively pay no income tax. Um, and that's not really fair when you compare it to the people that pay like 35, 40% of their income in income taxes. But even the people who pay no income tax, you're still paying tax in a million other ways. So everybody is taxed too much. Uh, if you work for a living, or if you're married to someone who works for a living, then you are taxed way too much. We all are. Um, everybody should pay less, a lot less, everyone. And when you really think about this, and I like to review this every once in a while, just so we all remember how screwed we are, because it's a good thing to keep in mind, especially as we get into election season. So if you think about it, all, all you have to do is, is you go, you, you think about your average day and all the things you do on an average day. So we're not even taking into account like big purchases and you know, these moments when, when, you're, when you really feel that tax bill. I'm talking about average day. You wake up in the morning in your bed. Your bed was taxed, right, when you bought it. You turn on your lights, which are taxed. Both the light fixtures when you purchase them and the electricity is taxed. Uh, you take a shower. You pay a tax on the water. That's coming out. You drink some coffee. That was taxed. Uh, you get into a car that was taxed. You leave your house, that of course is taxed. You drive down the road, burning gasoline, that is taxed. Uh, depending on where you live, maybe you pass through a, a, a toll, you know, which is a tax. Maybe you get pulled over on the way because you have a taillight out or you're not wearing your seatbelt. You're going 13 miles over the limit. That's also a tax. You go to work and you're taxed every second that you're at work. You're, you're, taxes, you're taxed just for earning an income. Like your money is taken from you before you even see it. And, and the IRS takes what it wants and gives you the leftovers. Uh, if you eat lunch, of course, that was taxed. Uh, every moment of the day is taxed. And, and then you get back in your taxed car. You head back to your taxed home. You eat another taxed meal on your taxed plates with your taxed utensils. You wash them off in the taxed sink with the water. It's taxed. You put it in the dishwasher. Tax. Pay with more water and soap. Tax. 
You're taxed all the time, like everywhere, no matter what you do. And then you die and you're still taxed. So there's nothing you can do to escape it. Um, every, 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 every step of the way, they, they bury you in the ground and they got to pay a tax on that. You just, you, you can't, until you're like decomposing in the ground and all of your money has been already distributed, only then are you no longer taxed. Uh, like well after your death is when it stops. So it's always funny to me when I hear people, anytime anyone points to some other group and says, oh, they don't pay enough. What are you talking about? Do you, we all pay so much. We're, we're just being scammed all the time. We're being ripped off always, every second of our lives. You understand that? And, and do, you, do you understand that, that the whole, like one of the fundamental reasons that this country even exists is that the founding fathers were upset over a tax on tea. And of course, there was a lot more to it than that. It wasn't just that. But, but they were upset about a tax on tea. We, we pay taxes on our tea. I got news for you. You go buy a Snapple or something at the gas station, you're going to pay a tax on that. We, we pay taxes on everything else. It's, it's way beyond. Like the founding fathers looking on from the grave are like, what are you, what are you guys doing? Why are you allowing any of this? This is insane. Um, but... Uh, it's 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 where we are. So, the answer is every single person in the country is is way too taxed, and uh, and then on top of it, uh, all the money or almost all the money that's being taken from you is just being squandered. It's just being wasted right away. It goes to nothing that benefits you whatsoever. Some of it, billions of dollars collectively going overseas to, to countries you've never been to, uh, to governments that you know nothing about, being used in ways that you'll never find out about. And that will certainly not benefit you at all, you know, and, and, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. And then so much else of it's going to pay the incomes of, uh, of government bureaucrats who shouldn't even have jobs to begin with. And the only reason they have a job is just because the job exists just for them to fill it and get paid and, and, and on and on and on. Um, so yeah, we're all screwed. Let's get to, uh, was Wall strong? Courage Under Fire is going to be the event of the year. Come and join me and my beautiful wife on May 24th in Nashville, Tennessee for a night of encouragement and camaraderie. Courage Under Fire will host some of the top leaders of faith, pro-life movements, and culture to share what is true, good, and beautiful. I'll be speaking alongside Dr. Abby Johnson on uh, how to have courage and stand up for the truth no matter what adversity you face. We'll be joined by some of the most influential leaders in the conservative movement for a night of connection and inspiration. All proceeds from the gala will directly benefit students in need of tuition assistance at Regina Chaley Academy, the premier classical homeschool hybrid for Catholic families. VIPs will have access to an exclusive meet and greet with guest speakers and live music during cocktail hour. If you haven't grabbed your tickets yet, you need to. For tickets, visit courageunderfiregala.org and use promo code dailywire at checkout. That's courageunderfiregala.org and use code dailywire. Can't wait to see you there. Okay, we got an assortment of uh, comments dealing with some of the things we talked about last week. First one says, many homeless people do have trouble meeting their rent. They're not drug addicts. They aren't lazy, but they may have high medical bills. They may lack uh, the talents that can land them these high-paying jobs with great benefits. You are far, far too harsh on this matter. Well, you don't need a high-paying job to be not homeless, you know. Um, yeah, it's difficult to get a high-paying job, certainly. Um, it's not difficult for a competent, um, mentally healthy person who's not addicted to drugs to at least afford some somewhere to live that is not 
a cardboard box on the street corner, you know, and that, and, and, um, you can call it harsh, you can call it whatever. I don't care. It's just, it's, it's simply the reality. And, um, you know, sometimes when I talk about the, the homeless problem and where it comes from and the realities of it, which, and the basic reality is again, that, that there's a reason in almost every case, there's a reason someone is homeless and it's not simply that they've run out of money or something, or they fell on hard times. Uh, is that they're addicted to drugs or they're, or they're uh, psychotic or both. Um, that's usually the case. But anyway, w- when, when people take issue with that, I want to assume that these are all people who don't live in this, a city or anywhere near it, and they've never encountered homeless people. But then, of course, I know the opposite is the case. Like Most of these people that would take issue with what I'm saying are going to be left-wingers, who many of them you know, statistically are, live in urban areas or close to them. So, which makes it all the more confounding. Because it's like, if you ever had any sort of interaction or you, know, you encountered homeless people at all, which I have many times in my life as anyone who's lived in or around cities has, it's like, this is obvious. You know, it, it's, it's very often, that it's, very, it's extremely rare that you have any kind of interaction with a homeless person where it does not become obvious within like two seconds why they're homeless. Um, and, uh, but... You know, I guess this is just people wanting to live in a, you know, I, I guess in a certain way, it's, it's a, a more attractive world to live in, but we don't have to acknowledge that. And we can think that everyone is homeless. It's just, these are all decent, hardworking people that have fallen. You know, it's, it's all the pursuit of happiness. You know, all the homeless, these are all pursuit of happiness type cases. Instead of acknowledging that that's like an extreme rare exception. Okay. Um, Anne says, sorry, Matt, we have this one wrong. Taylor Swift is internationally popular amongst the young ladies of our world. Most are not even of age to vote or U.S. citizens. I don't think she has the power you're giving her. Uh, I don't know how much power you think I'm giving her. I, I, I didn't say that she's the most powerful person in the world or that, uh, or, or that she alone is going to determine the outcome of the election. But she has a lot of influence. And, and that's that's really what I'm talking about when I say the, the kind of power we're discussing here is the power of influence. And, you know, we have this term influencer, you know, which is kind of, which is, there's an irony to it because most of the people that we call influencers are not really influencing anybody, or, or at least their influence is is quite small and quite narrow. The people that in our culture who really have the influence, we would never call influencers because it would be a major step down. Like you wouldn't call Taylor Swift an influencer uh, because it's something quite beyond that, right? Um, but this is about influence and uh, like it or not, I wish it wasn't the case. She has an enormous amount of influence. And, um, and you know, again, more irony, the, the, the influence even becomes all the more greater, uh, the more that she's talked about. And, you know, I was watching the Super Bowl last night, uh, for example, and I was checking Twitter while I'm watching the Super Bowl, which, which is like, why I even do that? I understand. Um, but I'm actually kind of interested in people's analysis of the game as it's unfolding. And of course, I'm just seeing a ton of tweets about Taylor Swift. And here's the thing. All of them that I saw were from people who hate her. It, it, it's, and I'm sure there are people tweeting about Taylor Swift who like her, but that's not what I saw. I, my whole feed is like Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift. And it's all people complaining. 
You know, if nobody complained about her, we would hardly ever hear about her. Many of us, anyway. Like me in the circles and and in the worlds that I live in, I would hardly hear about her at all if it wasn't for people on my side incessantly complaining about her. Um, so maybe there's a lesson to be learned from that. Finally, I hope you're wrong, Matt. If Trump runs against Biden, Trump has a good chance of winning, but I'm not so sure the same results obtain if he runs against Gavin Newsom. Um, yeah, I think that, uh, look, I, I'm terrible at making political predictions, just like my, my political predictions are even worse than my sports predictions. So, uh, but I will say that it seems to me right now, it's, it's hard for me to imagine Biden winning at this point against Trump. But, but, and, and that's, and there's a lot of reasons for that, but we don't need to get past the economy's in shambles and he's a vegetable and everybody knows it. And it's just, it's, that is quite a hurdle to get over. And I'm not sure that he does. Um, but you put Trump up against uh, against someone who's younger and who is not Biden, then those, clearly, those two major advantages go out the window. It's someone who's younger than Trump, so the age factor is gone. Now, now in fact, not just the age factor is gone, but now it's, now it's a problem for you because Trump is still the young man in the race, even though he's 80. <laughs> uh, so you put someone in there who's in their 50s, or whatever Gavin Newsom is, and then all of a sudden... Age becomes a problem for Trump. And then also, if it's not Biden, then it becomes a lot more difficult to blame that person. You can still make the connection and say their policies are the same as Biden's, which is true. But it doesn't have the same visceral impact. So I think that, um, yeah, it would certainly be a major challenge for, for Trump. Keeping windshields clean is always a pain, especially in the winter. That's why I'm so grateful to have Windshield Wow. Windshield Wow is an innovative windshield cleaning device that uses two magnetic cleaning paddles, one on the outside and one on the inside of your car, to clean both sides of your windshield, all from the outside. Being able to clean both the front and the inside window at the same time is a game changer. I wish I had one of these years ago. Seriously, all you got to do is push around the outside paddle and the inside falls automatically, leaving your windshield squeaky clean. We had a pretty big snowstorm here in Nashville, and with all the dirt and salt piled up on the road, washer fluid just couldn't do the job. Luckily, I had a windshield wow in my trunk to save the day. That's what's awesome about windshield wow. It's so easy to throw these in the back of the car so you can always have a clean windshield. The windshield wow applies firm cleaning pressure and is super thin to get into those tight dashboard areas. So what are you waiting for? Go to windshieldwow.com. Use code Walsh at checkout for a special discount. That's windshieldwow.com and use code Walsh. Well, major announcement, if you haven't heard yet, mark your calendars for the epic return of Backstage. After almost a year away filming the Pendragon Cycle, the God King Jeremy Boring is back and joined by Ben Shapiro, Michael Knowles, Candace Owens, Andrew Clavin, and myself. Join us tomorrow at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central as we get behind the scenes and beyond the headlines. There's a lot to cover, so you don't want to miss a minute. Watch the show live exclusively on Daily Wire Plus Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central. You don't want to miss this. This is your invitation to Backstage got to watch it on Daily Wire Plus, Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central. You don't want to miss it. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Unfortunately, I cannot give a full analysis of the Super Bowl or the Super Bowl ads if for whatever reason anyone actually wanted, wanted me to do that. Um, I watched the game rather half-heartedly, paying only vague attention because I was bitter that my Baltimore Ravens weren't playing in it. I'll admit that. I was bitter um, and in protest against this injustice, I boycotted the event. I mean, I still watched it, but I watched it unenthusiastically. So it was a heroic form of activism on my part, you must admit. But in any case, I did happen to glance up during an early commercial break 
when we saw what would prove to be one of the most viral ads of the night. It was another Super Bowl commercial for the He Gets Us campaign. The campaign first run by a group called the Servant Foundation and now run by a group called Come Near Incorporated, both funded by mostly anonymous, but we can assume extremely wealthy donors, is ostensibly meant to evangelize and promote Christianity. Indeed, they're spending tens of millions of dollars to run these ads during the Super Bowl. Uh, There are many very credible and biblically grounded Christian groups in the world that would love to have the resources to run a commercial during the most watched television event of the year, but most of them wouldn't have those kinds of funds if they fundraised and saved for a decade. The people people that are behind He Gets Us do have that money, which means they have a unique chance that few Christians will ever have. They're able to present a message to 100 million people all at the same time. In fact, this Super Bowl is certain to be among the most watched events of all time, making this an unprecedented, or nearly unprecedented at least, opportunity. So what will they do with it? What message will they send out to those 100 million souls? How will they use the millions upon millions of dollars that uh, these 60 seconds of ad time will cost them? Will they call the world to repentance, to humility, to obedience, to virtue? No, 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 and no. Instead, they did this. Watch. Don't ask me what you know is true. Don't have to tell you. I love your precious heart. I standing you were there two worlds collided and they could never tear us apart okay so for those uh, listening to the audio podcast the ad consists of images which may not have been ai generated but certainly look ai generated Um, images of various people getting their feet washed in various situations. And then we see the words, Jesus didn't teach hate, he washed feet, appear on the screen. Now, before we even talk about um, the actual images themselves and what they specifically depict, the very deliberate choices that were made and who gets their feet washed and who does the washing, we can already determine that the ad is, at best, a wasted opportunity. The most generous thing I could possibly say about a message like, Jesus didn't teach hate, is that it's redundant and pointless and benign. And that is, again, in its best form. Because everybody already knows that Jesus didn't teach hate, okay? We know that. It's the only thing that most people these days know about Jesus. The fact that Jesus didn't go around telling his followers to hate people is an extremely well-established fact. Again, again, it's like the only well-established fact these days. So so nobody was ever confused about it. We know that Jesus didn't hate people. We know that hating people is bad. Um, Nobody believes in or promotes hate for its own sake. Even hateful people don't see themselves that way. Okay, so yeah, there are hateful people, people, but, but they don't see it that way. So if you declare hate is bad, everybody will agree, whether they're hateful or not, and you will have accomplished nothing. Now, of course, You know, it's not actually true that hate is always bad. There are things we're supposed to hate. We're supposed to hate sin, just as Jesus did. 
Hate should be directed at bad things. We should hate bad things. And we should love good things. This also may seem obvious, but it's a distinction that many people in our world often miss, which is just another reason why putting out a broad anti-hate ad that offers no further insight into the issue is useless. And if it's not useless, then it's actively harmful. And that is the case for this ad, which brings us to the images on the screen. So who are the people getting their feet washed? Well, we see a few sort of nonspecific, generic feet washing scenarios, if that can even exist. And then we see a white man washing the feet of a Native American. We see another white man washing the feet of a climate protester. Uh, we see a white woman washing the feet of, I guess, her Muslim neighbor. We see a white woman washing the feet of an illegal immigrant. Uh, we see a cop washing the feet of a black guy in a back alley. Uh, kind of strange. I don't know what's going on there. We see a priest washing the feet of a gay black guy on the beach. And then we see a woman outside of an abortion clinic, uh, getting her feet washed by what appears to be a pro-life protester. Now, you'll notice that unsurprisingly, the ad is very careful to make sure that it doesn't depict a white person getting his feet washed by a non-white person. So we see every combination of feet washing going on, except for that one. Apparently, Jesus calls us to wash feet unless you're black and the other person is white, because that would be racist. And this already tells you everything you need to know about the campaign and the people funding it. The ad strictly follows and respects the left-wing victim hierarchy and dutifully makes sure to not depict any image that would run afoul of the rules of intersectionality. If they had reversed the roles in any of these scenarios, then the ad would have been, to at least some small degree, culturally subversive. Okay, what if it was a black guy washing the feet of the cop? But you would never see that. Okay, even though, and people defend the ad to say, well, are you saying we shouldn't love each other? Okay, then, okay, well, then why don't we have the black guy wash the cops' feet? Shouldn't he love cops? If you saw that, well, that's not, that, that sends the wrong message. We can't have that. But, you know, at least that would have offered the viewer something that they don't already see. It would have given, given them something to think about. It would have challenged the viewer. But they made sure not to do that. So what's the problem here? Aside from the political correctness with the racial dynamics, what's the problem? Well, the, well, to begin with, we should say, Jesus did not go around washing everyone's feet, okay? There is precisely one story in the New Testament of Jesus washing feet, and it was at the Passover meal before his passion and death. In that case, he washed the feet of his disciples, okay? The people closest to him, his disciples, people that have been following him, literally, throughout his whole ministry. And now that did include, of course, the disciple who was about to betray him. But the point is that these were his disciples. Like He wasn't out in the street washing the feet of every unbeliever and unrepentant sinner who walked by. And we, we often do this these days. Like We take singular moments in Jesus' ministry and we extrapolate them, making them out to be regular occurrences. But that's not a fair or accurate assumption. So when we say, Jesus didn't hate, he washed feet. It makes it sound like it was some, It was like a standard form of greeting. We just went around. What? There's one story of that happening in a very specific circumstance um, for a specific group of people. Did he ever go out in the public and wash feet? Well, we don't know. Like there, we don't. There's no reason to assume he did. There's no mention of it. But we do know that out in public, whether or not he ever washed feet, we don't know. We do know that his fundamental message was this, repent and believe. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, as he says in the Gospel of Luke. 
This was his message. Not stop hating, okay? That was never that. It was repent and believe. And yet neither one of those points were mentioned in the ad, curiously enough. So is this a good entry point, though? You know, maybe that's the argument. Well, uh, yeah, it's not really the gospel, but, but, uh, but it, it, it gets people in the door with the feet washing stuff. Well, no, it's probably not a good entry point. It probably won't get them in the door. And even if it does get them in the door, they'll be coming through the door for the wrong reason. When you say to unrepentant sinners, come and get your feet washed, you are reaffirming them in their sin. You're feeding into their pride and ego. Okay, for the disciples, this is another key difference. For the disciples, getting their feet washed by Christ was a humbling experience for them. They felt uncomfortable at first. They tried to stop him. Okay, uh, they knew they were unworthy. But, 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 and that, again, a major point here was humbling for them. But if somebody sits down and says, yeah, come wash my feet. I deserve this treatment. Come cater to my every whim. Then the very last thing you should do for that person is actually wash their feet, whether literally or metaphorically. You know, you are not saving anybody's soul by feeding their ego. Yes, we should be inviting sinners into the fold. We're all sinners after all, but we're inviting them to repentance, to strive for virtue, to live holy lives, or at least to try. The problem with modern Christianity in many cases is that it offers the invitation, right? But it forgets what the invitation is for. Now, what you see in this ad is not Christian love. This is self-debasement. It's a humiliation ritual meant, meant to satisfy the egos of people who need their egos punctured, not inflated even more. And does it work? Does this kind of messaging actually succeed in growing the church? Does it bring in, bring in the lost sheep? Does it do whatever it's supposedly meant to do? We don't need to speak theoretically about it. If you're a defender of this kind of messaging and you say, oh, it brings people in. Okay, where? Where has it worked? Christianity in the West has been sucking up to people who, who hate it, has been sanitizing itself, has been watering down its message, preaching against hate, but never saying a word about repentance for decades. And over those decades, we've also seen a record number of people leave the church. We've seen church attendance dwindle to record lows, while atheist and unaffiliated self-identifications rocket to record highs. If this hippie Jesus messaging was ever going to actually work, you think it would have started working at some point over the past, I don't know, 50 years? Unless, of course, the collapse of Western Christendom means that it is working. If that's actually the point, if that is the goal, then actually it has succeeded beyond anyone's wildest dreams. And that ultimately is why the He Gets Us campaign is today canceled. That'll do it for the show today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Talk to you tomorrow. Godspeed. One stage. One night. No limits. Don't miss the epic return of the God King, Jeremy Boring. With Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh, Candace Owens, Michael Knowles, and Andrew Claven. Backstage. Watch it live tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central. Exclusively on the Daily Wire Plus app and on dailywire.com. Picture this. You're driving on the open road, taking in the beautiful views this country offers. Then out of nowhere, you hear a noise and your car breaks down. While still frustrating, you feel protected because you have a plan through CarShield. 
CarShield has helped millions of drivers from having to pay backbreaking car repair costs. All you have to do is call before a breakdown. Plans can pay for expensive repairs on your out-of-warranty car, truck, or SUV. All for CarShield's low monthly rate that never goes up as long as you cover your car. With a plan through CarShield, you get protection on over 5,000 major parts and systems with just a visit to carshield.com Shapiro. I'm talking big money items like your transmission, engine, electronics, and so much more. CarShield is here to keep you moving forward and make car breakdowns and the repairs that follow just a tiny bump in the road. Go to carshield.com Shapiro. Protect yourself from the unprecedented rise in costs for parts and repairs. Visit now to save 20%. CarShield.com Shapiro. That's CarShield.com Shapiro. Hey, 